So, with that, we're going to jump into our message, but um, I don't normally start my messages with jokes, but I, I felt that maybe because it's a travel um, kind of theme and we're thinking about that kind of stuff, you know, it's appropriate. There's a lot of airplane, airline, pilot jokes out there, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of inappropriate ones, actually, to be honest with you. As I, as I scoured the internet, um, there's a lot of them out there that are not necessarily appropriate, but I found one that I thought was appropriate, so I figured I'd share it with everybody. And it goes like this. It says, Morris and his wife Esther went to the state fair every year, and every year Morris would say, Esther, I'd like to ride in that helicopter. Esther always replied, I know, Morris, but that helicopter ride is $50, and $50 is $50. How many of you women are like, amen? It's like, I'm with her on that one. Well, one year, Esther and Morris went to the fair, and Morris said, Esther, I'm 85 years old, and if I don't ride that helicopter, I might never get another chance. To this, Esther replied, Morris, that helicopter ride is $50, and $50 is $50. Well, the pilot overheard the couple and said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take the both of you for a ride. If you can stay quiet for the entire ride and you don't say a word, I will charge you a penny. But if you say one word, it's $50. Morris and Esther agreed and they went up. The pilot did all kinds of fancy maneuvers, but not a word was heard. He did his daredevil tricks over and over, but still not a word. When they landed, the pilot turned to Morris and said, by golly, I did everything I could to get you to yell out, but you didn't. I'm impressed. Morris replied, well, to tell you the truth, I almost said something when Esther fell out, but you know, $50 is $50. And all the men in the room were, amen. Well, we are in Destination Series. We're our part four. This is turbulence. How many of you know that was a bit of a turbulent situation at that point? Um, when I say the word turbulence, how many of you guys could just, right off the bat, you know, when I say the word turbulence, you know exactly what this message is going to be like. How, how many of you guys are there? Okay, well, how, how about I help you with this? If I use the word, instead of turbulence, if I use, like, the word, uh, the idea of rough patches, difficulty, trials, tribulations, um, just things that are hard in life. Now how many of you guys can be like, I've been there, I've done that, maybe I'm right there in the midst of it. I think all of us um, have walked through uh, turbulence in our lives at, at one time or another. In fact, there's a passage of scripture, John chapter 16, verse 33. I would imagine most of you, this is probably not your favorite memory verse because it goes like this. The first half of it goes like this. In this world, you will have trouble. And everyone said... Yeah, that's right. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, I will tell you that the rest of this verse is, is huge because if we only do the half verse here in John 16, all we know is in this world, we're going to have trouble. Well, what does that mean? Is that very helpful? No, all of us know in this world, we're going to have trouble. In this world, we're going to go through turbulence. Um, but the greatest blessing, the greatest benefit is that the verse doesn't stop there. Um, Jesus doesn't stop teaching his disciples at that point. What he says is, if you know the Bible, he says, fear not. I have overcome the world. So today we're going to be talking about the idea and the mindset of turbulence and the fact that in this world you will experience turbulence. It's a fact. It's life. If you've never experienced turbulence, then I have, maybe you just lock yourself in a room and that, that's the way you lived your life. Um, or maybe you're like two years old. Um, but other than that, you as an adult, um, somebody that's growing up in life, you've experienced turbulence in one way, shape, or form. Um, many of us are in the midst of turbulence right now, I'm sure, with the knowledge the, of, of the amount of people that go to this church. I tell you, there's a huge portion of us that are probably in the midst of turbulence, in a battle right now, in something that life has just thrown 
thrown at us. Um, some of us have just come out of it. And some of us, someday, maybe you walk out this door and you're going into turbulence. But some way, shape, or form, turbulence is a part of life. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have rough patches. You will have trials. You will have turbulence. But fear not, and this is where we're going to go today, fear not, Jesus has overcome the world. And to that, everyone says, amen. Well, when we jumped into this um, and we knew we were going to be teaching on turbulence, we actually did our diligence and we, uh, we got with a few pilots and we asked them, hey, when you guys experience turbulence as a pilot, what do you do? Like, what's the, what's the regiment? What's the, what's the uh, decisions that you guys have to make? How do you, how do you handle turbulence? Uh, and one of my good buddies, Jeff Bonanno, um, who's a pilot for Southwest Airlines, answered this. He said, when I encounter turbulence, here are the first things that we do. Number one, we slow the airplane down. The slower the plane, the less violent the turbulence. Simultaneously, we put on the seatbelt sign. We tell the passengers what's happening, and we have the flight attendants remain seated until further notice. Second, they query air traffic control as to how long and how bad the turbulence ahead will be as long as somebody's already called it in. And if it hasn't been called in yet, then they report it, and they let them know the coordinates of where they're at, uh, what the time is, and that there's turbulence in this location. The third thing is they develop an exit plan. He said, we usually change altitude, but quite often in the winter months, we actually change route. Considerations are, do we have enough fuel? How much longer will it take? And is it a safer, more comfortable path? Now, the thing that I took out of that um, is actually, we actually developed a lot of our notes. This is Campus Pastor Weekend, so we're teaching as Campus Pastors at each one of the locations. So we developed our notes, and as a team, we talked about this, much in part based around this whole mentality of actually the way pilots do it. But the realization, the thing that we came to understand was um, when pilots, pilots have gone through rigorous training. They've gone through every exercise and every scenario before they ever actually get into the cockpit of a plane to fly it. They've learned how they're supposed to handle those situations. So that in the midst of it, as every pilot knows, at some point as a pilot, you're going to experience turbulence. And if you haven't been trained, you haven't been properly prepared, when you hit that turbulence, you're bound to freak out. So you have two options. Either you get trained and you get prepared and you have a strategy of how you're going to encounter that turbulence and what you're going to do when you encounter it, or the only other option is to encounter it and to freak out and to have no idea what to do. I believe we as believers as well need to have a strategy that in our lives, when you encounter turbulence, when you have trials, when there are the rough patches of life, that we have a strategy that we can walk into those times with so that we can be successful and come out on the other end. You guys agree with me on that? I believe it's a, it's a biblical concept. In fact, we've been given the word of God, which is living and active in our lives, to be able to be uh, that help for us. We've been given the Holy Spirit that's been implanted in every believer to be that encourager, to be that comforter. And so we want to use all of these resources that we already have, but come up with a strategy of what do we do when we experience turbulence? How do we have a game plan? How do we desire, how do we choose to know how to walk through this? So we've come up with three things to do when you experience turbulence. Not if you experience turbulence, three things to do when you experience turbulence. And the first one is this, it's make adjustments. Make adjustments. So if you have a piece of paper, forgive us, our copier went down, so I recognize that not, nobody has notes. We actually have all of our notes on uversion.com, which is also the Bible app. So if you have a Bible app, 
um, on your phone, on your Android, on your iPhone, on your iPad. The notes are available there. They're also available online. Um, you can get them later. Um, but the first one, if, when you experience turbulence, remember this, make adjustments. Okay, well, what kind of adjustments? Well, the first adjustment um, that I believe is extremely necessary, and this has everything to do with, with uh, ourselves, it is choose the attitude that you're going to have when you walk into turbulence. The funny thing about attitudes are they can very much determine the outcome of a situation. The other funny thing, though, about attitudes is we have every ability to choose what our attitude's going to be. An attitude is completely based off of my mentality of how I'm going to walk into a situation. Now, I know from experience that turbulence many times in my life can create one of the worst attitudes that I have. In fact, the people around me many times know when I'm walking through turbulence because my attitude has completely changed for the worse. People are like, I know that he's going through something because he's not enjoyable, he's not fun, he's irritable, he's short, he's mean, he's rude, whatever it may be, uh, whether it's my kids, whether it's my wife, whether it's our coworkers, whatever it may be, many times the attitude we choose in the midst of a situation is going to determine the way that the turbulence is. It's going to actually many times determine how rough the turbulence is. So when we walk into turbulence, when we encounter turbulence in our lives, one of the first things that we do is we need to make adjustments. And the first adjustment that I would throw out to you to make would be adjust your attitude appropriately. When you look at the situation around you, it may not be fun. Turbulence is not enjoyable. But you have an opportunity in the midst of turbulence to choose an attitude that's going to help you get through it or choose an attitude that's just going to be, I'm sulking in this and it is what it is and everybody else is going to find out that I'm in the midst of turbulence. So choose your attitude. You have a choice in your attitude. The second one is, the second adjustment that uh, we believe that, that would ver is very appropriate many times to help us through turbulent situations is to slow down. To slow down. In fact, Jeff, the pilot that I just read that information from, he says the first thing that they do as a pilot is they slow down. Because the slower you're going, the less violent the turbulence is. You're still going to be in the midst of turbulence. It's still there. But the speed and the pace of your life many times determines how rough the turbulence is at that moment. So what do you mean, speed, slow down? What does that mean? Okay, the busier you are, the more distracted you become. The busier you are, many times, the more inroads the enemy has to come and attack you from. So when we walk into rough patches and our lives are so busy and we're trying to grab this and we're trying to grab that, we're running a million miles an hour in our lives. And I know all of us are doing this. All of us are moving fast. In fact, the pace of life has only continued to pick up faster and faster and faster. And the enemy has taken that mentality, taken that idea that the faster we go, the more distracted we become. The less ability we have to actually look at the situation around us and say, what in the world is going on? So when you experience turbulence... A practical way to be able to help you understand even what to do is to slow down. Take life a little slower. Step back. Release your hands from things that you can. Spend time with God. Amen. Have your quiet times. Amen. Get in the still places where you're forced to hear his voice. Don't let the busyness of the world come and just attack you. But be on purpose to slow your life down 
so that you have the ability to even know what kind of adjustments you're supposed to make. And then the last adjustment um, is the most major one, and it's not always it's not always available, I guess, is the way that I would say it, but it would be to alter your course. It would be, if you're going through turbulence, one of the questions, as you've, as you've finally, you've chosen your attitude, you're, okay, I'm, I'm in turbulence, it is what it is, I'm going to have the appropriate attitude, I'm going to slow my life down, and I'm going to assess this situation. One of the questions you need to ask is, can I change my path? Is there something that I'm doing currently that's causing this turbulence? Now, Jesus actually is probably the best illustration for this because in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36, Jesus did this exact thing. He went, the, uh, if you know anything about scripture, um, obviously Jesus was uh, persecuted. He was pressed. He was, uh, he was somebody that from all sides uh, was being attacked by people that were seemingly his friends, people that were seemingly his supporters, um, and towards the end of his life, it was so stressful to him that he actually went through periods of life to where he, he was so stressed and so de-stressed, going through so much turbulence that he did think, he like, he sweat blood. He was that stressed in his life. Now, I would say that's pretty turbulent situation, especially with the knowledge that you bear the weight of salvation on your shoulders. And you're walking into a period of time um, here in Mark 14. Jesus walked into a period of time where it's literally the evening before he is betrayed. The evening before he's taken up in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's betrayed, he goes through trials, and just days later, he's crucified. He knows that all of this is happening, and here's how the whole thing plays out. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. They, they and it's Jesus and a few of his, his disciples, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Deeply grieved even to death. Now that is turbulence. That's a difficult time. He's so grieved that it's, to the, it's pushing him to the brink of death. He says to his disciples, remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. In fact, Jesus said to the Father, he said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. In that moment, in the most turbulent time in Jesus' life, what's the question that he asked? Lord, if it's possible, would you change my course? If it's possible, in looking at this situation, is there anything else that we can do? Is there somehow that we can go around the turbulence? Is there somehow that I don't have to walk through it, but I can go around it? Now, church, we all know the end of the story because Jesus actually says back to the Father, he says, yet not what I want, but what you want. And we all know that salvation has come to us because of what Jesus gave to us. He gave his life as a sacrifice. But what I throw out there, what I submit to you is, many times we as believers when we walk into turbulence, when we walk into different time, uh, uh, difficult times, I think sometimes we have the mentality, well, it's just my cross to bear. It's just my burden. That's just the way that life goes. No, wrong. Sometimes life doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes Christ has given us a way around the turbulence. We just have to ask, is that an option? 
we have to ask, is there another path? Is there something that I'm doing in my life that's causing this turbulence that I can change? To be honest with you, many times, if you're really listening to God, I believe he will answer that call and he will let you know, change this, do that, go around it this way. Because the last thing that I think that, the, the, last, the last way that I think that God is looking at us is like, well, you just have to go through it. That is what it is. And just in every situation, he's looking down upon us. In, in fact, sometimes many of us, I think, think that God smiles when we have to go through those things. I don't believe that our Father takes joy in the fact that we have to go through those trials, those tribulations. Now, there are times when it's appropriate. There are times when, and we'll talk about this, um, they're the unpopular times when there is no way around it. But if there's a way around it, we should try and at least find it and ask the Lord, is there, are there adjustments that I can make to be able to help me get around this turbulence? Now, it's really important, and this is where Jesus realized when he said, not my will but yours be done. It's not okay to change your path and therefore alter your destination. As a pilot, um, Jeff, one of the things he said is, many times he said in the winter months, because that's when turbulence is even far greater, he said, many times we will actually change our course. However, we have to determine a few things. Do we have enough gas to still get to where we're supposed to go? How much longer is it going to take? Does it make sense? Is it actually more comfortable? When we ask the question, is there something that I can do in my life to alter my course to get around this turbulence? Don't sacrifice the destination to do that. It's not worth skirting the turbulence, but ending up somewhere that God doesn't want you to be. So I want you to hear me the right way. It's okay to ask, Lord, if it's your will, would you please let me go around this turbulence? But if it is his will to make you go through that or to allow you to go through that turbulence, you have to be okay with it because the destination on the other side is what he wants, not what we want. When we take into the, these situations into our own hands, Many times, the outcome is way worse than if we had just gone through it and got to the destination that Christ wanted us to be at. Does that make sense? So the second adjustment, or the second thing that we need to do when we experience turbulence is we need to report it. When I, when I say report it, um, I mean specifically, one of the things that we need to do, we need to ask for help. When you're in a turbulent situation, when you're walking into turbulence, one of the greatest things that you can do that's going to help you in that situation is to ask for help. Now, I know um, myself in my flesh, and I know probably most of you guys out there, you're like, yeah, right. Ask for help? What does that mean? Um, I don't know what it is. Any woman who's married in here can probably attest to this. We as men... Uh, God's created us, and there's certain ways that this is really good, but there's also many ways that it's bad. God has caused us to, to have a bit of a, of a prideful sense many times, that I can do this, and I can do this alone. I don't need help. In fact, I have a perfect example of this, and it has to do with Pastor Dan DeMay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would not be worthy. He's not even here. Um, it, I have a perfect example, actually, in my life. It doesn't necessarily have to do with turbulence, but it has everything to do with, with the male mentality of pride, the way that I can do it myself, and how, really, many times that can destroy us. It's probably one of the greatest enemies to asking for help. And it's this. A few months ago, 
um, my wife and I and our five children um, were blessed to be able to move. Uh, we moved into a house, a great starter home, like 1,500 square feet, three bed, two bath, and we moved in pregnant with our second kid, and we had four kids while we were there. So tiny little house, um, living on top of each other. So we started the process of figuring out what we're going to do. What, you know, obviously, we can't live there for the rest of our lives. Um, in fact, we had a child that was sleeping in a closet. So you know, that's, I am not kidding you. Um, so that, that gives you an awareness of how packed our house was. Um, so we decided we were going to move. So in the process, um, I recognize that I don't really like helping people move. It's not necessarily like something that I like to cross off my list, like, eh, the, like, it's, like it's not on my bucket list, like help someone move, you know, number one. Um, but it is, it's a part of life. So I recognize that rather than try to put other people out in this process, I was going to move myself out of my house. And by myself, I mean literally myself. My wife helped me with a few things, especially packing, um, but getting all the items into the truck, I just determined I was going to do it myself. So I rented a 24-foot moving truck, and I started getting everything into it. Well, you know, the boxes were easy, and there's a lot of stuff that was pretty simple to move. Um, but I got to a piece of furniture that was about a 500-pound armoire that stood about seven feet tall, about four and a half feet wide, and it was upstairs in our bedroom. I had to get my neighbor, actually, to help me get it into the house because of how heavy and how big it was. So I just determined, though, you know what? I'm going to do this. It's, I got a dolly. No big deal. You know, it's all about leverage and you making sure that things are good. And I'm not a small guy. So I'm like, I can do this. I don't need help. In fact, I thought I was doing everybody else around me a favor by not asking them to help me. Um, so I start working on it and I move the armor out of our room. And Amy recognizes this is probably the stupidest thing that you can do. So she actually tells me, you're not moving that by yourself. You need to ask somebody for help. So I don't really necessarily remember exactly how. It's a little hazy um, how the story works. <laughs> Somewhere in the midst of this, I must have forgotten what she said to me because she went to the store. And I decided I was going to move this. I was going to get downstairs, and I was going to show her I can move this by myself. So I put it on the dolly, and we had a set of stairs. It was about, it's like seven or eight stairs, and then a landing area, and then it came back down seven or eight more stairs. So I came up with a plan of action, and I determined the best way to do this was to put it on the dolly, to get the, the wheels of the dolly just over the first stair, and then I was going to get the bottom of the stairs, and I was going to bring it down with me. What? <laughs> Every guy in here is like, I would totally do have done the same thing. And many of you probably have done the same thing. So I get down there, and I bring it down the first step. And it, it's good. It's no big deal. So I bring it. And I'm going slow. I'm bringing down the second step. But how many of you know, obviously, there's a thing called gravity. And the further something tilts, the more gravity interacts with that. By the time I got to the, down, the wheels down to the third step, the entire thing completely just released. And I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a small guy. I'm holding it, as soon as it releases, like, it's like I weigh absolutely nothing. The whole armoire takes me, and it throws me all the way against the wall. It hits the wall, it hits the ground in the landing area. I feel like I had just flown out the backside of my house, through the wall, through the, the brick and everything. And I look around, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm moving out of this house. I think I just broke my house. You know, 
So I look around, I assess the damage, there's a little bit of damage, um, nothing I couldn't fix. But, uh, <laughs> so it's like, what, what happened in my mind? The thought that went through my head was, well, that didn't work. I did get it down to the landing area, but I had a whole second set of stairs to go down. So I determined, rather than sucking up my pride and going and asking for help, I decided maybe I'll hold it from the top <laughs> instead of push it from the bottom. So very much a very similar situation happened going down the second set of stairs. It was not successful. Holding it from the top is actually harder than pushing it from the bottom. So just in case you go through this period of, of time trying to make these judgment calls, just know that neither of them work very well. Um, so anyway, I get the armor, finally get the armor downstairs. I get it into the garage, but I broke a piece of the armor off. As God is my witness, I am in my garage. It's late at night. I think the kids are actually in bed. I am trying to glue this piece of the armoire back on before Amy comes home, and the garage door opens, and I'm standing on a ladder trying to glue this on, and Amy pulls up, and she's like, did you move that by yourself? It's like, well, no, gravity helped me. Well, that's not the end of the story. Um, the next morning, the next morning, um, I continued to pack the truck. And I, I'm like, okay, the hardest part is over, right? Getting it down the stairs has to be the hardest part in dealing with this armor. So all of my kids are outside. Um, I got the truck backed up to the garage. The ramp is out. My son's over here playing. He's in his high chair sitting right off to the side of the ramp. I'm like, I'm going to get this thing into the truck. So um, after trying to finagle it out of my garage, because it was so tall I could barely get it out of my garage, I finally start to pull it up the ramp. And about halfway up the ramp, I don't know what happened. I don't know if a gust of wind came. <laughs> I, I could swear to you that one of the tires was low in air or something. But the whole thing, and I'm watching this in slow motion, I'm pulling it up the ramp, the whole thing just starts to go like this, real slow. Now keep in mind, my son is about two feet away from the ramp in his high chair, like literally right where it's starting to, to teeter off towards. So in, in the midst of all of this, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, my wife is going to kill me. This is going to kill my son. Like, what in the world do I do? So I, I let go of the dolly. I jump off the ramp. I, I like, try a superhero move. Like, I, I push my son in his high chair away. I tried to salvage the armor, but it's so heavy, it's starting to come down. It actually falls on me. It puts a big gash across my chest, and it hits the ground, and it breaks into, like, ten pieces. And at that point, I had to tell my wife that we were down one piece of furniture. <laughs> but our son was alive. So, <laughs> But that's a perfect example of pride, like complete pride. I say that it's funny, I know, but here's one of the realities of the situation. Pride is one of the greatest enemies of turbulence or allowing us to get through turbulence successfully. Pride is something that many times becomes so paralyzing in our lives I, it's the same thing in my life, so I'm not just, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? Pride is something that prevents us many times from actually being able to get through turbulence successfully. Because when pride stands in a situation, it prevents us from actually being able to say the words, please help. Please help. But here's the reality. You are not the first person to go through that situation. You are not the first person in this world to experience that type of turbulence. There are many people, especially in a church this size, that have gone through that same thing, and they can help you. 
They can encourage you. They can lift your arms up. They can help you provide strategy. They can do many things to help you walk through that turbulence. And one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to make you try to think that I have to do it alone. You will never get through the turbulence if you're trying to do it alone. In fact, I talked to somebody last night after I taught this message, and they said, Pastor Marcus, that was right on, that message. I have been walking through a turbulent situation, one situation for six years because I've been doing it alone. The enemy wants to, to, to get you alone so that he can just keep shaking your world up. It's up to us to get over the pride. Men, it is up to us to get over the pride and to say, I need help. Report it, call it out, ask for help. Ultimately, your greatest help, your greatest comfort is actually going to come through God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, the first half of verse 4 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts all of us in our troubles. When you report it, ask for help from those around you, and ask for help from the Lord. Don't do it by yourself. Once you've walked through turbulent times, once you're on the other side of it, one of the greatest things that you can do in your life it's to be able to report it and say, I've gone through that, I've been there, and now I'm willing to help you through that when you're walking in that place too. In fact, you will help others who face that exact same turbulence later in their lives. That same portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, goes on to say, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. If you're not willing to humble yourself, to be comforted by God, to be comforted by the people around you, you'll never be able to be used in those kind of times in somebody else's life. When God really is saying, I want you to be a minister in my kingdom too. I want you to be able to help people through turbulent times. But first, you have to be willing to let me help you go through it too. Report it. So I asked the question, and in fact, I asked myself this question, what systems do you have in place to report turbulence in your life when you go through it? Are there things that you've established? Are there people that you even immediately when I say it, people that come to mind that say that's the person that I would go to when I walk through turbulence? It's okay to go to counseling. It's okay to go to a pastor. It's okay to talk to your friends. It's okay to talk to your family. It's okay to report it. It's okay to get it out there. Do it. Provide some, yourself with some kind of strategy to say, here's how I'm going to report it. You need to be ready, though, before you go into the situation. If I say these things and it goes in one ear and out the other, when you hit a turbulent time, you have not prepared yourself, you're not going to just remember to do this. It's the same thing with a pilot. A pilot goes through the training. They go through the exercises. So when they hit the turbulence, they know, here's what I do. Here's how I conquer this. Here's who I talk to. We as believers need to do the exact same things in our lives. The third thing that we might have to do when we experience turbulence, and this is the least popular of all of these, sometimes we just have to go through it. Sometimes there's not a way around it. Sometimes it just is what it is. That doesn't mean that God's making that happen. 
doesn't mean that he's forcing you into that place. It means that life is life, and because it's life, and because we live in a fallen world, and because there's sin in this place, turbulence will happen. And sometimes you just have to go through it. When you go through it, the greatest thing that you can do is trust your manufacturer. Trust he who created you to get through that turbulence. It's actually, this, again, it's the same thing like when you're, if you're flying an airplane. I don't know if there's any pilots here, but if you hit turbulence, you have to just trust Boeing or Airbus or whom, Cessna or whomever made that aircraft and trust that the person who manufactured that aircraft knew that at some point in time you were going to go through turbulence and they made it to where you could actually survive, where the vessel wasn't just going to shake apart in the midst of it all. Now, I know many times when we go through turbulence in life, it feels like everything's falling apart. It feels like you're not going to be able to survive. But if you truly are able to trust your manufacturer, you will have all knowledge, I will get through this turbulent time. We say, well, that's not the truth. Sometimes people just don't survive. Well, it is the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, no testing has overtaken you that's not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. We have to, when we're caught in a scenario, when we're caught in a life situation where there's turbulence that we just can't go around, that we're forced to go through, the greatest thing you can do is to trust that God has given you everything you need to get through it. Everything you need. Life will not end at that point. Um, many of you know, we have, a, so we have five children. Our youngest child is almost nine months old. And when she was born in October, we, my wife and I got rocked with one of the most turbulent times, difficult times in our entire lives. Something I pray that the Lord would never have anybody else go through. Um, but that was, and, and I know many other people have walked through situations like this, um, but when our daughter was born, we had, and we had no foreknowledge of this, she had what's called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. She was born with a hole in her diaphragm. Um, she was born, and so what, what actually happened, and we found all this out later on, um, her spleen and her intestines and whatnot, as her body was developing, came up through the hole in her diaphragm into her chest, and it prevented one of her lungs from fully developing. Um, and so when she was born, uh, you know, you, have, you experience the joy and you experience the pleasure of the situation, but within minutes, you realize something was not right. Like something, she was, she was full term, she was healthy birth weight, she was a good size, but something wasn't right. She wasn't breathing well. So they started her on oxygen, and they started walking through a process and trying to encourage us. And, you know, they want to think initially that it's the, the lowest of lows. You know, it's not a big deal. We'll just get through this. It's no problem at all. Um, but after a period of about an hour, they realized she wasn't getting better. And so they took her from the hospital room where my wife and I were, um, and they took her to the NICU. 
So I went with her over to the NICU. They started doing, um, they started doing chest x-rays. They started trying to figure out what was going on. They said, hey, uh, we're pretty sure that she has a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. Now, that's the first time I had ever heard that term, so I had no idea what was going on. My wife didn't know what was going on. In fact, she's, we're separated from each other at this moment, trying to pass information to each other. Um, and in the, immediately, we were thrown into just this ridiculously turbulent situation. Um, it was life. It was something that we walked into. How many of you know when turbulence happens, there's not like a warning sign that says, warning, you're about to enter turbulence. It just happens. It's part of life. It's abrupt. So what's supposed to be very joyous, where we're supposed to be able to really just be able to be rejoicing and sitting in our room with our children and enjoying our new baby, we're not able to do. Within, I think it was four hours, um, our daughter Bronwyn was, uh, she was hooked up to all of these wires, put on oxygen, put inside of like one of these little, I don't know, look like a fish tank that you like, transport children in ambulances in, put her in that, put her in the ambulance, and brought her up to Presbyterian St. Luke's. And my wife is obviously stuck at Littleton Hospital where, where she birthed our daughter because women obviously have to go through a period in the process of figuring out, you know, hey, when can we release you? And there's a period of time that they won't allow you to leave. So then I'm trying to battle, okay, do I go with my daughter? Do I stay with my wife? How do we do this situation? It was just crazy. Something that I would never thought I would have, be having to answer these kind of questions, make these kind of decisions that day, let alone four hours after our daughter was born. So about one o'clock in the morning, I think it was, um, our daughter was put, she's four hours old, she's put um, in an ambulance and being transported up north to Presbyterian St. Luke's, and I'm in my car following them. So we get to the hospital and go through a whole process, a few weeks in the hospital, surgery, um, multiple different things um, that they had to just kind of walk through this process. And in the midst of it all, I just, there's all of those questions. Why? How does this happen? You know, like, what do I do about this? My hands, our hands were tied in the situation, and really the only thing that we could do would be, was to pray. We just ask the Lord, Lord, would you heal her? Lord, would you heal her? I, I, I don't know that we even knew anything else to ask, but Lord, would you heal her? Will she, can she be okay? We've actually found out walking through this process that uh, I think it's actually worse than 50%, that 50% of children with congenital diaphragmatic hernias don't survive. Like, and hers was pretty bad. Like, we uh, thank the Lord that we didn't know, we didn't have foreknowledge of all this. But as we're walking through this process, man, we're just starting to get this information. We're just like, are you kidding me? Like, how does this happen? To be honest with you, I kind of, I, I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not going to speak for my wife, but I kind of felt ripped off. Like, are you, why? Like, how does this happen? Like, what's, what in the world is going on here? But I quickly realized this is a situation that we were just going to have to walk through. Nothing we did was going to change the scenario in front of us short of God's miraculous hand just coming down and saying, it doesn't exist anymore. So we walked through it, and we had to increase our level of faith and belief in God in that time. We had to trust that he was our God. He was the one who knit us together. He was the one who knit our daughter together. And because he was good, because he is good, because he is our manufacturer, we had to put all of our trust in him in the midst of one of the most difficult things that we walked through. 
We had to trust God. Now, the cool thing about this, there's a couple cool things, but the cool thing, one of the really cool things about this is when you're forced to go through turbulence and to trust God, to trust the manufacturer, one of the things that naturally happens in that situation is that you actually have character and hope established in you. If you do it appropriately, character and hope are actually established in our lives during those difficult times. Romans chapter 5 Verses three through five says this, we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The turbulent times, the times when we have to fight, when we have to walk through them and we have to trust our Lord when we have to trust our manufacturer, those are the things that one day on the other side of it, you're going to be able to stand upon that place and you're going to say, I have more character and I have more hope because of what I've walked through. I've seen God's hand in a way that I would have never seen it if I didn't walk through the turbulence. And although that time really stunk, I'm a better person because of it. My faith in God has been elevated to a new level and to a new height because he allowed me to survive through the process. Because he made me in a way that I could make it through the turbulence. No matter how hard or how much it felt like it wasn't, I wasn't going to survive or we weren't going to survive or even our daughter might not survive, we knew that God was good and that he would be the one that would have to get us through that the ability to trust God in the mystery shows our maturity level in him. The ability to trust God in the mystery. When things are dark, when they're bleak, when you can't see the, end, the light at the end of the tunnel, the ability to trust God in that will show and it will determine the depth of relationship that you have with him right now. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going to conclude this message. So, um, fire alarm. Um, we, yesterday I was praying before we started services, and the one thing that I prayed, the thing that I was really just said to God was, look, I recognize, like, you guys don't even have notes, so you have, like, nothing to take home with you, right? So, no matter how nice or how catchy or how fun our points are, that's not what I want you to take home with you. I want everybody to have strategy. I want everybody to have a plan. I want everybody to be able to understand that we can be proactive as opposed to just reactive in the process of going through turbulence in our lives. But what I really felt like God was impressing on my heart was this, and that was what I really want to do is I want to point everybody to him and to say he is the only way you're going to get through it. Even if there's a way around it, he's going to be the one that's going to help you find it. You can have the greatest of plans and the greatest of strategies, but if you're not looking to your creator, the only one that can help you, you're, you are deemed, you're doomed to just be stuck in a six-year battle of turbulence. So here's the challenge. Here's the thought that I want to leave you with in fact, everybody stand to your feet. If you, all of us have walked through turbulence at some point in time. Some of us may have come out of turbulence. 
Some of us may be going into turbulence, and many of us are probably in the midst of turbulence. So regardless of where you're at, but specifically, if you are in turbulence, I want you to hear this. So I want everybody to just close your eyes, and I want you to meditate on this thought. There will never be another opportunity for you to worship God in this specific situation. Right here at this moment, at this time, this is your opportunity to worship God in the midst of the turbulence. It's time for you to worship God through the turbulence. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 talks about choosing who we will serve. It says, now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, you have to choose somebody to serve. Choose today who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Today is your opportunity to worship him in this storm. If you say, well, I'm not in a storm, I'm not in turbulence, you need to remember one thing. Walk away remembering this. Worship towards our creator is the only way that you're going to successfully make it through that turbulence. So let's just pray. Lord, you are our creator. You're our provider. Lord, you're our salvation. You're our life. You're our joy. You're our prize. And God, I don't know every situation that every person in here is in right now. I don't know what situations you brought them through, and I don't know what situations they're going into. But what I do know is that you are good. What I do know, Lord, and I pray that this will be imparted to every person in this room, is that we have the ability, we have the choice to be able to worship you in all things. Father, and our ability to worship you is going to determine how we walk through this. So, Lord, I just pray right now, I pray a prayer of blessing for every person in this room that says, I am going through turbulence. I know I'm going through turbulence, but I choose to worship God. No matter how hard or how bleak or how painful or how dark it may be, may you, sir, may you, ma'am, may you worship the Lord in the midst of your turbulence because he will get you through it. He will carry you through. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you hear our cries. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.